0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Hangout in the Holy Land, Land-Grant flagship podcast. I am your host, Gene Ross, and join me, as always, is Josh Dooley. And Josh, after we finished recording last episode, we kind of realized that the, uh, the college football season is rapidly approaching on us.
1: It's coming up quicker than you and I both thought, so I'm ready to kind of start getting into some of these teams and these opponents that Ohio State's going to play. I know we want to talk recruiting today as well, so I, I feel like we're finally starting to get into the meat of preview season, which I think is always pretty fun.
0: Yeah, and, and it is only early July, but you know you look at the calendar, and the college football season is about you know six, seven, eight weeks away at this point, and so we're going to start getting into our 2022 Big Ten football previews here. We're going to be going team by team over the next few weeks leading into the season, probably doing two uh, two teams per episode. Um, maybe you know some of the bigger teams will have their own standalone episode, but we're going to be moving in reverse order of the standings from last year. Um, obviously saving Ohio State for last. Um, and and since you've already clicked on this podcast, you probably know that this week's teams are Northwestern and Indiana starting up the bottom of last year's standings. But before we get into that, Josh, we do have some... Ohio State recruiting news to touch on um, from this past weekend. The the Buckeyes' hot summer continues with two more commitments for Ohio State over the weekend. Uh, The first being 2023 offensive tackle Miles Walker. He's listed at 6'6", 285 pounds out of Greenwich, Connecticut. He's the number 38 offensive tackle in the country, the number two player in Connecticut. Um, And, you know, we know know these Northeast guys don't really get recruited as heavily. They're not scouted as heavily as, you know, some of the more talent-rich areas in the South and the Midwest and whatnot. But I think there's, you know, some chance for Walker to move up the rankings. Maybe now as more people get eyes on him with him being an Ohio State commit and all. Uh, But either way, another big piece along the offensive line for new position coach Justin Fry. He joins Luke Montgomery, Joshua Padilla, and Austin Serveld as the the fourth member of this offensive line class for the Buckeyes in 2023.
1: Uh, And I think you kind of nailed it on the head, right? I don't know of another four or five star recruit from Greenwich, Connecticut. So I don't know how much we really know about Miles Walker outside of the fact that Justin Fry identified this kid as a player that he wanted to bring into the fold. And he did have some other offers from, you know, Texas A&M. And he went on a visit there. A couple Big Ten schools, I think, Iowa and Penn State. So clearly some talent there. Good size, 6'6", 285. He is barely uh, just inside the top 500 of recruits right now. But we've got a whole nother season to go. And we've seen this before. You're not going to land all four and five-star recruits a year early in a recruiting class. It just doesn't happen for most schools. So this is a depth add with upside. I would say because, like I said, with that full season to go, room for him to improve. And I, I know he's new, but I, I've decided that in Justin Fry, we trust, especially based on what we saw in most recent years, just really as far as development goes. So. I think that they can, uh, you know, bring this guy in, continue to keep in touch with him and kind of maybe give him some things to work on. I don't know how much contact they will have with him, but it's good to get a fourth lineman in this class and it lets them continue to build out at certain positions of need.
0: Yeah, I'd imagine they're they're more or less done at offensive line unless they add someone like an Olasa Lennon uh, as, as really their top remaining target on the offensive line. But they're probably set at around four or five guys currently with four in the fold. So I wouldn't expect more than one other guy at the position. But flipping the script to the other side of the trenches, um, their other big ad this weekend was 2023 defensive lineman Jason Moore. Um, I believe we talked about him a bit last week. Uh, listed six foot six, two hundred fifty five pounds, out of Dematha Catholic in Maryland, which is, of course, as we've talked about, the same school as Chase Young. He was the number five defensive lineman in the country, the number fifty three player overall, and the number one player in his home state. A really uh, huge bounce back for Larry Johnson here after Ohio State missed out on Darren Reed last week. They wind up landing a player who's even higher ranked anyway. Um, And and I think this is a really big piece as the defensive recruiting on that side of the ball as a whole is really kicking off. Moore becomes the the highest ranked player thus far on that side of the ball for Ohio State in 2023. And uh, it's a really big piece along that defensive line. This isn't just a a concession piece for Reed. This is a really, really good defensive lineman who Ohio State really came on here late for and, and they wound up winning it out in the end.
1: Yeah, Gene, and I don't know if it's because he was sort of late into the fray, but I, I kind of got a sense that people talked about Jason Moore like, oh, you know, nice ad. This is a great ad, in my opinion. You you talked about it, the fifth-ranked defensive end in the country, top-ranked player out of the state of Maryland. I talked about his size on our last pod, I think 6'6", 255. He's a basketball player, so, you know, he possesses a lot of athleticism, and You know, I I had talked about the need for a traditional pass rusher and more due to his size, he may develop into something different. There have been, there's been talk of him, you know, maybe sliding inside at some point, but at his current position, I think he had 13 sacks last year as a high school player. He's got, it it seems like he's got all the tools, just needs some refinement. And you'll see that a, a lot with these younger players, but the second player they've added along the defensive line, the first was Will Smith Jr., legacy add, 6'3", 260-ish, kind of a probably a tweener, I would say, in my opinion. But Moore gives them a bona fide pass rusher, as of right now, to get after the quarterback. And we've talked about in previous pods the lack of pass rush from Ohio State in, in recent seasons. I think you and I both believe that that pass rush will improve this year and they'll get after the quarterback with Sawyer and JTT and hopefully a bigger year from Zach Harrison. But looking forward, I think Jason Moore is is a really, really good player. I was able to watch some of his film a- at his size. I-, I don't know that he is always going up against equal sort of size and athleticism on the other side, because at 6'6", 255, it's a pretty big defensive end. So he was able to physically dominate some of his opposition but you get him into ohio state you put him with larry johnson i'm sure he's going to work on the things that he needs to work on and i i don't want to put the car before the horse here but he he could be a, a potential star moving forward just physical makeup and all that good stuff
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, these pair of commitments now for Ohio State um, moves the Buckeyes back up to that number number one spot in the 2023 class rankings. They've been jockeying back and forth for a position with Notre Dame here for a little bit. But, um, you know, Ohio State's per player average at this point of 93.67 is the highest in the country, which is impressive given that the class is already at 18 commits and they're still in on some really big names that would potentially raise that average. You know, I talked about Olasa Lennon. They're also in on guys like Caleb Downs, uh, Mateo Uyangalele, some five star guys out there so a chance that average only gets higher um and you know especially on the defensive side of the ball where Ohio State's in on a bunch of guys you know really highly rated guys in addition to guys like Moore um it's really just room for this class to keep getting better so you know not a, not a ton they of spotify remaining but yeah
1: Gene they can end up with a couple really good bookends from the state of Maryland they're still in pretty good standing my understanding on um, Desmond Zulu another guy out of Maryland so that uh that Chase Young pipeline and Larry Johnson too. He He goes after that Maryland area, I I think maybe as a high school coach, that's where he did most of his work, if I'm not mistaken. So he's very familiar with it, familiar with the schools in that area, and he's clearly identified that as sort of a, a target area for him and what he likes to add to this position group
0: yeah for sure and you know along the defensive line i'm sure they'll add at least two or three more guys they still want to add you know at least one or two linebackers another safety or uh, corners are probably done but at least another safety and so there's a lot more a lot more work to be done in the recruiting but certainly a great start for ohio state Not, not really a start i guess we're kind of at the midway point here as we're in july but the 2023 class is coming together quite nicely and i think ohio state's pretty proud of what they've been able to do thus far and um you know, I think overall in recruiting, I think that's, you know, basically where we're at right now, kind of just waiting for the next commitment to pop. We've got, you know, these, the recruits are always teasing new, new booms here and there. I don't know if there's anything pending, you know, in, in the really coming days, I saw, you know, uh, the, the tight end Jelani Walker and our uh, Jelani Thurman, sorry, is, is, you know, kind of, I believe he's committing on the 17th and Ohio State is involved there, but that's a guy that's kind of played his commitment a little tired to the vest. I'm not sure if he's going to be an Ohio State commit, but nonetheless, they're they're in on a bunch of guys, and I'm sure that this this big summer for Ohio State will continue sometime in the near future.
1: Yeah, they can't fill out their entire class during the summer, right? You know, they're going to hit, hopefully, on some late targets here, especially as we get closer to the high school season and then even afterwards. I think that whether they end up at 22, 23, 25, they've kind of got the core built and in place right now. And so I think they can be very choosy moving forward with kind of the positions they go after. We've talked about a quarterback potentially being in the fold. I don't know how many other positions. I'd like to see them add more to that defensive line, and I think that they will. But to have 18 commitments in the fold right now is a great number. They're right up there with Notre Dame and some other schools. But you you definitely can't argue or, or be disappointed with where they're at right now, and that's a good thing. As as we haven't even reached
0: August, yeah, for sure. And I and I'll tell you what: who would really like a class like this that the Buckeyes have put together? um, Both Northwestern and Indiana, um, who are about to talk about here, Segway, Um, Segway. I guess we'll start here with Northwestern um, as as we work our way up from the bottom of the Big Ten from last season. Um, so as we, we transition to our Big Ten preview here, looking at Northwestern's previous year in twenty twenty one, pretty awful. No, no real way around it. Uh, they finished the year three and nine. Their only wins on the season were to Indiana State, Ohio, and Rutgers. Um, that included a fifty six to seven loss to Nebraska, which is never something you want to see. Um, they also lost forty seven to fourteen to Illinois and forty one to fourteen against Minnesota. So not exactly the the world beaters of the Big Ten, and they lost some pretty pretty blowout games there. They ended the season with six straight losses, didn't score more than 14 points in any of those six games. And that was really just the story of the year for Northwestern. Their offense could not get the job done. They finished the year 125th out of 130 teams with 16.6 points per game. Really just unheard of offensive struggles from a college team. And a lot of that came down to a lack of consistency at quarterback. They played Three different guys at the position that threw at least 70 passes, and none of them had a positive touchdown to interception ratio. Um, Ryan Halinski was their their most prominent starter. He had three touchdowns to four picks. Andrew Marty behind him threw six touchdowns to six picks, and then Hunter Johnson with four touchdowns to four picks. So nothing really going on for Northwestern from the quarterback position. Their run game was okay. Their defense struggled pretty much across the board, um, and they're they're hoping to turn around in 2022. But they have a lot to to pick up from in you know uh, coming off a really really poor season in 2021 after you know a decent season before that.
1: Gene, spoiler alert: I I think this team stinks, and I don't have a nicer way to put it, especially in offense. But I, I would say the one positive they have going for them they, they have a couple really. First and foremost, I like Pat Fitzgerald. I really do. As a coach, I think he's done some great things at Northwestern. Uh, I, I don't know what the ultimate ceiling is moving forward, but if you look back at recent seasons, you know, they won the Big Ten West in 2018 and 2020, but then they had identical three and nine records in 19 and 21. So, Based on past precedent, that, that would sort of tell you that 2022 could be a good year for them, potentially a big 10 West winning season. But I just don't see it. You talked about the struggles they had last year. They've lost a, lot, a bunch of talent, whether that was graduation to the draft transfer, which we'll, we'll get to all of those things. But I just I, I don't know how they bring it back. I don't know how they get it back on the rails here because At the end of the day, talent wins. And I I know it's difficult to recruit at Northwestern, but they have the new, the brand new facility, which is magnificent, you know, kind of second to none on Lakeshore Drive, I think, or kind of looking over uh, the river there. But yeah, Gene, like it's going to be a real struggle moving forward. And I wouldn't be surprised to see them at the bottom of the big 12, big 10 West again, but I know we want to get into what's on the current roster and kind of what we can look for moving forward.
0: Yeah, and, and it's kind of funny you mentioned right these these last really three seasons in a row it's been the. the, the... The, the highest of highs and the lowest of lows for Northwestern. And, and you brought up Pat Fitzgerald. Obviously, he is entering his 17th season at Northwestern. He has been a mainstay there for quite some time. Um, his next game coach will be his 200th career game with the Wildcats. He's put up a career 109 and 90 record. He's got five bowl wins during that time, including the last four in a row. Um, he's gotten his team as high as number 10 in the AP poll, although a little asterisk there is that it was during the COVID season. Um but Josh, you already, you already kind of talked about it. I was going to ask you what your thoughts on Pat Fitzgerald was. I personally, you know, I recognize he's been there forever. He's won the West a couple of times. He's done, I think, a, re- a decent job over at Northwestern. I think he's, you know, has them playing better than maybe they should be. But I also feel like they should probably be Recruiting a bit better with their proximity to Chicago when you mentioned their facilities I know that their you know their main football facility is really really cool It's got like that glass wall overlooking the lake mm-hmm. It just seems like a really cool place to play and you know with their proximity to a, a place like Chicago that has a good amount of talent you'd think that they would have a lot more at least of that homegrown talent on their roster. And I, I just don't really quite understand why that that isn't happening. And I don't know if that's, you know, a Pat Fitzgerald issue or maybe his assistants or whatnot, or maybe just, you know, the, you know, the the academics part of Northwestern and the, you know, kind of their their Stanford esque mantra, I guess, or, you know, the way that they think about themselves. But I just don't know why they're not uh, you know accruing more talent, especially because of having, you know, a, a longstanding and proven coach like Pat Fitzgerald.
1: I think it's a combination of things. I think that the Education piece is real. Uh, you know, Northwestern sort of likes to think of themselves as the Harvard of the Midwest or the Stanford of the Midwest or, or something like that. And it's a it's a prestigious school for a number of reasons. But it, it's tough to always bring in high end talent when that's your sort of expectation for your your incoming students. And I really have to wonder what the support is for the program from like a booster and a school point of view with NIL now being in place and all of these collectives that are kind of throwing money towards these new players. I I don't know what Northwestern has in place. My guess is, excuse me, it is not as prevalent as you would see at Ohio State or Alabama. Clearly it's not that right, but for me, with Pat Pat Fitzgerald, it seems like he's gotten to a point where he either takes the Kirk Ferentz approach, where he continues to just kind of put his head down, grind, and see what he can do with this Northwestern team, hope to get them in bowl contention, and maybe to uh, you know a big bowl, a big prestigious bowl, or. It could be time to pivot. Uh, I I believe that NFL teams have had conversations with him in the past. I think Green Bay actually is one of them. And I don't know if that was for head coach, defensive coordinator, what have you. But he's got the background. He played in the NFL. um, And, and, you know, we know what he did in college and, and as a college coach. I would not be surprised to see him pivot But at the same time, I I know his affinity for this school, for his alma mater. So I I guess I wouldn't be surprised either way. But I do think that it's reaching that point where either he or the university sort of needs to make a decision on future trajectory and whether or not he is going to remain in the fold. Because I think he could go somewhere and be a great defensive coordinator. We've seen his defensive acumen he is very involved with that side of the ball with his current team. I think he could could go and do that at a bigger school or potentially even the NFL if he doesn't want to stay. But if he does, I, I'm with you. I think that they need to turn it around because they're in an affluent area. There's a lot of talent in Chicago. They've got the facilities. The money is there, whether they want to invest it or not. So there are things that could work in their favor if they wanted to put forth that effort. But I really just don't know... I, I don't know where they go from here. And I think the 2022 season will be very telling.
0: Yeah. And you bring up NIL stuff. You, you would think that for a school with the the prestigious, you know, educational part of, of the school and some of their, you know, they've got some pretty famous alumni. You know, they're very well known for their journalism school. They've got a, a handful of guys in, in sports media and what have you. You'd think there's a lot of people with a lot of money that would maybe throw some of that money towards the football school, towards the football program. And I, I think they'd be doing pretty well in NIL if they really want, you know, went after it and tried doing it pretty hard. So I don't know if it's an issue of you know having the wealthy boosters to do it, or really just an issue of not not doing enough or not promoting it enough or, or trying to do it. Because I feel like, you know, they should have the the alumni base to really get that kind of thing done, especially with, you know, like I said, the school that is it prides itself on its academics. You'd think that a lot of these, you know, rich and famous alumni. And I know, I think Stephen Colbert went there. They've got a couple of people in, you know, the, the sports scene. So they, they've got the money, I, I'm sure. Like you said, it's not a, it's not a lack of, of, you know, affluence in that area. So I'm, I think they could get it done if they wanted to. But yeah, I don't know. It's just an, an interesting situation at Northwestern. I know it's not really... And they've got a, li-
1: they've got a little bit of a track record, too. You know, when you look at recent talent, they put out Rashawn Slater. Brandon Joseph, before he transferred, was one of the probably better safeties in the country. They've got a lineman on the current roster, Peter uh, Skaronsky, who is projected to be another future first-round NFL draft pick. So the the proof of concept and the proof of success is there, but... It's really just been few and far between. So I, I, I think that I really think that they need to see some improvement or I, I don't know that they would ever call for Pat Fitzgerald's job or anything like that. But it's like if they don't move forward, what are they? Because they have invested the money in the facility. Pat Fitzgerald is paid pretty handsomely. So are they going to continue to do the things that they have done if they're not seeing a return on investment? And that's, it's a tough question, but, you know, getting into really kind of what they have back, what they have returning and looking back at, you know, some of their stats and things from last year, you mentioned the quarterback play they passed for barely over 2000 yards last season with more interceptions, than touchdowns. Ryan Helensky is returning. He took the most reps at quarterback last year, but performed arguably the worst. You know, he completed 54% of his passes, three touchdowns, four interceptions. And he might be pushed by redshirt freshman Brendan Sullivan. He's a Michigan kid. He was a three-star recruit, but he did win a state championship in Michigan. So, uh, you know, I'm not... Dialed in on Sullivan, per se, but I did a little bit of homework on his background. They return one of their top receivers, Malik Washington. He was second on the team last year in both receptions and yards. Very limited behind him. I will say they do have talent at running back, though, and guys up front to block. Peter Skaronsky, I mentioned, one of the better left tackles in the country. And at running back, they do have Evan Hall, who rushed for 1,000 yards last year. And Cam Porter is returning. Now, Cam Porter is out of the Cincinnati area. And two years ago, he had a couple kind of uh, he gave you glimpses. He had a hundred yard game. Uh, He did start against Ohio State, did not perform very well. I think that was the Big Ten championship game, if I'm not mistaken, but missed all of last year due to injury. He's back. So they could have a two headed monster there with some guys up front. It's just a matter of whether or not they can move the ball with that quarterback, uh, whichever quarterback it's going to be. And I have some serious doubts, but I do want to ask before you kind of respond to that, Gene, how is it that Northwestern has ended up with these left tackles, though, that could be future first-round draft picks, and, and they're not able to do anything on the offense? Is that the surrounding players, or is it just sort of fluky that they've identified this offensive line talent that um, – you know, are or, or arguably some of the better players in the Big Ten at their position. They just haven't been able to do much with it. Do you find that odd or, or more fluky?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think we have a similar situation here as to what we see at a place like maybe Wisconsin, where it's just maybe. A lack of quarterback talent, really, that's holding the rest of the team back. Like like Wisconsin, you know, you do brought up guys like Cam Porter and Evan Hall. They have a good rushing attack, and their run game is pretty decent. But it's just they can't really throw the ball at all. And in, in today's brand of college football, that's just not good enough to get the job done. Um, I do think their offensive line is going to be very good once again. You talked about Peter Skaronsky, you know, an All American candidate. Um, they have a handful of other veterans along that front as well. So I do expect Northwestern's line to once again be very good, um, as it usually is. But you know, if you can't throw the football, it's you know, if if you fall behind a bit, your defense slips up a bit. You just you, you play yourself out of games, and it's a big reason why um, Northwestern was so bad on offense last season. It's just because you know they're playing from behind so often, and then they just can't. You you got to be able to throw the ball in those types of situations, and they just couldn't do it. You know, I, I do think quarterback play on this team will once again be an issue. You talked about Holinski returning for a second season. Season, He's a former South Carolina transfer, um, but he's really entering his first full off season with the program, so they're, they're really hoping he can improve a bit. He is a former four-star prospect and was the number two style quarterback in the 2019 class, but like you talked about, under 55% of his passes last year, he only threw three touchdowns and four picks in his nine games, um, and Northwestern's simply going to need him to be better than that if they want to compete. You talked about Brendan Sullivan. He's a three-star guy out of Michigan. He didn't even attempt to pass last season, so it's not like they have a re- really good, you know, uh, experienced option behind him. If Hilinski can't get it done, they just, you know, if neither of those guys are, are any good, they're just kind of stuck. Um, you talked about Malik Washington. They are, they are going to be without their leading receiver from last year, Stefan Robinson, but Washington's back. He's pretty solid. They also like what they've seen from Bryce Kurtz in limited action, but he did, you know, he's coming off a season ending in season ending injury last season. So they're going to need more guys to step up in the receiving core as well. They have a guy on the roster, Jensen Hooper price, who's six foot five. So maybe he's another guy who could work outside, but he only has two career catches, um, Second-year guy Jacob Gills, is another guy they expect to step up. So a lot of you know unproven talent there as well, and really the, the strength of this offense, like you talked about, is that running back room, um, where you know hopefully they're hoping that that could maybe supplant a potentially lackluster passing attack. Um, they have camp quarterback who missed all of twenty twenty with twenty 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 one, sorry, with an ACL injury. Um, like you talked about, Evan Hall was a thousand yard rusher last season, so they have a really strong running back tandem. Both of those guys are pretty decent receiving threats out of the backfield as well. So. They have the rushing attack. They have guys in the backfield that can get the job done. But I think it all comes down to if they don't have a quarterback that could throw the ball in any meaningful way and none of these other receivers outside of Washington could step up, then I think think they're still going to struggle to to score points.
1: And they had Justin Jackson a couple of years ago. He gave Ohio State fits at running back. So you're right. The running game is there, but they need to be able to supplement it. And it's funny. You brought up Northwestern's quarterback play, and you sort of mentioned it – compared it, I'm sorry, to Wisconsin – But then in my head, I'm sort of saying, and Iowa, and Minnesota, and Nebraska. Like, it's the Big Ten West epidemic, with Purdue probably being the exception. They just have not been able to hit on quarterbacks. Uh, Really, at any recruiting level, they've brought in three-star guys and tried to develop them. You see a school like Wisconsin with Graham Mertz. He was a five-star. He has kind of not come to fruition or met his ceiling yet, so... I don't know what they're putting in the water in the Big Ten West, but it's definitely a struggle at the quarterback position. You did mention it, though. This is Holinski's first, like, real full offseason with the program, so maybe he shows some progression there. I did not go back and see what he was as a recruit, but, you know, if he ended up at South Carolina, clearly there was some talent there. If he can do some things, maybe they can put up some more points, but that's absolutely what they need to do because even when. Pat Fitzgerald's it's teams were better when they were good. They were reliant upon that defense and they did just enough on offense to get by. The defense took a step back last year. And I know we'll get to that. The offense followed suit. And so you just had really kind of a dearth of talent on both sides of the ball. And that, you know, resulted in a three and nine record. And I don't want to get to the predictions, but I, I don't know how much they improve, but I know you want to talk about the defense a little bit, like you and I were talking about previous to the pod
0: yeah for sure and you know if you have a a solid run game and a good defense and you could kind of play really the brand of of football that Northwestern wants to play kind of that just gritty grinded out style they're not looking to to air it out like Ohio State and put up 60 on you they want to beat you in a a 24-17 type of game and so if you have a good defense you could do that but I'm not really sure what to think of this Northwestern defense coming into this year it's kind of a unit that's in flux they're they're under second year coordinator Jim O'Neill there's a lot of moving parts here. Um, you know, after they were the fifth ranked defense in the country in 2020, they, they fell all the way to 89th in 2021. And now they've lost perhaps their best defensive player with safety. Brandon Joseph transferring to Notre Dame. Um, Just looking at some of the units here, uh, they hit the transfer portal pretty hard along the defensive line. They brought in a a trio of fresh faces to join with some of their veteran returnees. Um, Their their top player here, I had to look up this name up to get it pronounced right, so hopefully I don't butcher it too bad. Uh, Adetamiwa Adibuare is the team's returning sack leader. Nailed it. Nailed it. Um, Returns as the team's sack leader from last year. Um, I think their pass rush will be okay, but they really have to stop the run better than they did last season. That was really their Achilles heel on defense. They allowed 213 yards rushing per game last season, dead last in the Big Ten. The next worst team was Rutgers with 161.8 yards per game, so nearly 50 yards worse per game than the next worst team. They were really, really bad against the run. They'll hope that the linebacker group can help out in that area as well. Um, They do have Bryce Gallagher returning as the team's second leading tackler from last season, posting 90 total in 2021. They do lose leading tackler Chris Bergen, so they will need other guys to step up there. Uh, Looking for guys like Xander Mueller as well as Pitt transfer Wendell Davis as worthy candidates to get a lot of snaps. Um, But there's also a good chance that Northwestern only starts two linebackers, much like Ohio State. I think they're going to play a very similar um, formation as Ohio State's defense does. And luckily for them, um, their secondary should be the strength of this unit, even without uh, Brandon Joseph. A.J. Hampton and Cameron Mitchell both return as the team's two leaders in pass breakups last season. Uh, safety Coco Azema was right behind them. He's returning as well. Uh, Rod Hurd is another good option in the back end. He and Azema actually tied for the team lead with two forced fumbles each last season. Um, so it's likely going to be a five-man unit back there in the secondary, also similar to Ohio State's. Um, but overall... I'm just really not sure what we're going to see from this Northwestern defense. That, that secondary should be pretty strong, but they're not exactly playing in, in a high-flying conference in the Big Ten, especially being in the Big Ten West. Um, they are going to play Ohio State, so that, that might help them a little bit there, but it's going to come down to stopping the run again. And if they can't stop the run, especially against teams like you know, Wisconsin and Iowa and Minnesota and all those teams that love to run the football, it's going to be another tough season for them. So they're, they're really going to have to focus on inside those linebackers, the defensive linemen. They're going to have to get better at stopping the run, or they're going to have a real, real tough time with it.
1: And what's odd about the linebacker play is, you know, Pat Fitzgerald was an All-American linebacker at Northwestern, and they've had a number of players come through. Uh, You mentioned Gallagher is their second leading uh, was their second leading tackler last year. He's back. Bergen's gone. Bergen had like 140 total tackles. But then they had Patty Gallagher. I don't know if there's a relation. I assume that there is. Um, he was a leading tackler for a couple of seasons pre, uh, prior to that. So, they've had some linebackers in the system and on the team that were playmakers, and that's a Pat Fitzgerald position. So you would think that they might be better against the run. But you mentioned really up front the defensive line. I'm not even going to try the name. He is their leading sack guy coming back, but not a great pass rush, I would say. And all of the transfers that they brought in you know they're coming from schools like UMass, Indiana State and Stanford but even at those schools the guys that I researched they didn't make a huge impact at, you know at their former school so they're not bringing in like this high level you know NAIA talent or this D2 talent or anything like that they're bringing in guys from other small schools and non-prestigious universities especially when it comes to football so they're just Kind of sort of throwing it together, it seems like, and I don't recall, I don't feel like Northwestern previous to the last uh, you know two or three years was was really huge in the transfer market or the portal. This is probably just due to the the changing landscape of college football. They're trying to get guys in here who have experience. and hopefully they can get coached up by Fitzgerald and his defensive coordinator, and he can kind of bring those guys up. But yeah, you mentioned the secondary. All of those guys have experience. But I told you before the podcast, none of the guys coming back in the secondary, at least the projected starters, none of them had an interception last year uh, between the four projected starters. And then I don't have the name of the fifth. I have Mitchell Hampton, Azama, uh, and I'm missing the other guys. Zero interceptions from that secondary. So, yeah, if you're not stopping the run, hopefully you've got some playmakers on the back end and. They might be good cover guys. Maybe they're willing tacklers, but they're not playmakers, at least in my opinion. So if you're not stopping the run and you're not turning the ball over through the air, uh, you know, I don't know. They could be looking at another season where they're giving up 29 or 30 points a game. Hopefully Fitzgerald is is able to coach those guys up, him and his defensive coordinator. I, I say hope because I have no allegiance to Northwestern, but you and I have talked about we both like him as a coach. Um but it's going to be tough sledding, you know, on the side of the ball, were they very good last year? And they've got a lot of a lot of ground to make up, I think, in the Big 12, the Big 10 West. I keep saying Big 12 West because we've talked about so much like conference realignment and stuff. Um, yeah, Josh, it's you have, not a do power conference by any at- means. But you look at like Purdue, they've at least got experienced quarterback play and, and they've been explosive at times on offense Minnesota's got an uh, experienced quarterback. Nebraska went and got, uh, gosh, Casey Thompson maybe is the name from Texas. So they're trying in the Big 12 West, especially at the quarterback position. And Northwestern's still sort of stuck in neutral or maybe even reverse, depending on how you want to define that or look at it. So I think it's going to be tough all around. And I don't know if you want to get into record predictions now, but our conversation has really kind of further pushed me towards what I thought um, prior to us jumping on the pod, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, Josh, I'm starting to think that you have some inside knowledge that Northwestern is moving to the Big 12 um, in, in some kind of trade deal here.
1: You know, um, maybe they're a Pac-12 team. It would just make sense, right? We'll, we'll do a swap.
0: Yeah, yeah. We'll make, we'll make some trades here in conference realignment. Um We don't have to go too far in depth here as, as far as records go, but just looking at sort of what Northwestern has on the docket this season – um, interestingly enough, they start the season in Dublin, Ireland, against Nebraska. Um, so, if, if the United States winds up at war with Ireland because we've sent them this game as a, as a as a gift, then um, we are sorry. Um, but they do get Ohio State and Wisconsin. Yeah, at Ireland home. is pissed. Yeah, no, they're they're not going to be thrilled, uh, but they they do get Ohio State and Wisconsin at home. Um, they travel to Penn State and Iowa, and then they finish the season at Minnesota, at Purdue, and at home against Illinois. Um, you know, so not not the worst way to end a schedule. They do get two of the better teams. They play at home. So maybe it won't be quite as bad as we think. I don't know how much home field advantage will matter against uh, Ohio State or or Wisconsin, but, you know, not the hardest schedule in the world. So maybe they they see some improvement last year. It would be hard to be, you know, worse than they were last year for sure. But I don't know. This, this could either be in the, like we've talked about before, the Big Ten West is not exactly murderer's row. So it wouldn't take all that much improvement for Northwestern to find themselves in, at least the, the upper half of that side of the conference. Um, but, you know, from all the stuff we talked about, there's there's just a lot of question marks on this team, and I'm not really quite sure what to make about them. Maybe Pat Fitzgerald coaches some of these guys up. Maybe they see some improvement from some of the guys on this team that didn't perform so well last year. Um, hopefully the defense gets a, a bit better outside of that secondary, but you know it, it could be tough sledding for Northwestern. But I don't think you know with what they have on the schedule, we're going to see another three and nine. I think they'll win you know at least five or six games if if the defense, uh, stopping the run especially, can improve even a little bit.
1: See, so yeah, I'm going to push back. I, I think they're a 3-9 and nine team, and I'll even tell you the, t- the games they're going to win. I think they'll beat Southern Illinois. They'll beat Miami of Ohio. And then I think that they will win an 11 o'clock kick, the patented 11 o'clock kick in Northwestern, at least Eastern Standard Time. I think they'll win their last game of the season in, you know what, let's just go hot take mode. I think that Northwestern will win its third game of the season in Pat Fitzgerald's last game and a home game November 26 against Illinois. Uh, I think that's their third win. I think they're a three and nine football team. And I just wouldn't be surprised to see those two kind of entities part ways, because if you go three and nine, three out of five seasons, even if you have the two big 10 West titles um, recently, I, I just don't see what they do moving forward. If they, are struggling that much again. So give me three and nine for Northwestern. And I apologize to any of the wildcat fans.
0: Yeah, I mean that that certainly wouldn't be you know surprising. Like I said, there's there's just a ton of question marks on this team. Not really quite sure what to think about them. But you know, if they do you know perform uh, you know averagely, then I wouldn't be super surprised to see another three and nine season from them. I don't think you know that. I wouldn't go out and here be like, wow, Northwestern went three and nine. That's crazy. No, I mean it, it wouldn't be incredibly shocking. And like you said, it could be. You know, maybe that is the end for Pat Fitzgerald. Maybe he moves on to the NFL or defensive coordinator elsewhere. But yeah, not not a ton of of high praise for Northwestern. I would say going into the season, I don't think they're going to see, uh, you know, a, a jump from the bottom of the that division to the top in one season. I think if they are going to make um, any significant movement, it's going to take a, a couple of seasons here and maybe you know some new coaching changes, some talent, whatever it is. But Northwestern, not exactly at the the forefront of the mind right now in the Big Ten. Is that you know anything else we have on, on Northwestern before we move on?
1: No, I think we're uh, we're probably going to be on the same page with Indiana too. Three and nine, Northwestern potentially to what nine and three, Indiana. You want to yes. get those out of the way? Is that what nine, you're looking at for 2022?
0: Nine Indiana is back, folks. No, unfortunately for Indiana, just like Northwestern, the outlook isn't very great. Coming off an abysmal 2021 campaign, maybe should have started with Indiana because they were arguably worse than Northwestern last season. In fact, almost definitely worse. We talk a lot about how the the 2020 season for for bad teams doesn't really count, you know. We talked talk about a lot of the, the the shortcomings of that season with all the weird stuff that happened with COVID. We kind of throw all those numbers out the window. Um, it seems like Indiana's good 2020 was also an outlier in that season because we look at what they did last year. Uh, the Hoosiers went two and ten in 2021. They did not win a single Big Ten game. Their only wins of the season came against Idaho and Eastern Kentucky. They were 123rd in points per game, 109th in points allowed per game. Pretty much nothing went right for Tom Allen's group. You know, I, I think Tom Allen's a pretty likable guy. He, he's heading into his seventh season as the head man in Indiana, 26 and 32 record. He's 0 and 3 in bowl games, though. Um, but, you know, his only positive record outside of the COVID season was 8 and 5 in 2019. And so it did look like he was sort of building something there. And then they had that good season in 2020. But then it all came crashing down in 2021. And now heading into 2022, I don't know if the outlook is much better.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. I think that I think Tom Allen's a good coach, but I think that they hit on all the right guys at the right time when they had success, because you look at what they had in the program. They had Michael Penix. They had Ty Freifogel, Micah McFadden, Peyton Hendershot, uh, Taiwan Mullen, who will be back, but he was healthy um, previous to twenty twenty or prior to 2021. And so I think things just really lined up for them. They hit on some guys and they were in the program for a number of of years. They just sort of developed that cohesion and they were really good or they were passable on both sides of the ball, right? They won a couple shootouts, won a couple low scoring affairs. So they got it done in a number of ways, but we'll get into it. They have lost so much talent, whether that was injury last year or graduation after the 2021 season, moving on to the NFL. Um, They've had some guys transfer out. They've had some guys who transferred in that they did not hit on a guy like Steven Carr, who didn't find a ton of success at USC, but he was uh, a high level recruit. They brought him in last year. He got nothing going on the ground. So uh, a nightmare of a season in 2021. I don't I don't think that they are a 2-10 and 10 team, but I also don't think that they are the 2020 team. I don't think that they are the 2019 team that won 18 games. I think a lot of that will depend on quarterback play, but you've got to give it to Tom Allen. He, he recognized just how dreadful last year was. He brought in two new coordinators on both sides of the ball. I want to get to their offensive coordinator. Um, not the best track record. And tell you what, I'll just get to it now. So, offensive coordinator Walt Bell, jotted down a couple notes on him. So, he was the head coach at UMass. His last three years, he was 2 and 23 at UMass. And you Is can that say good? probably not great, not great. And obviously, you can say that he was not working with a ton of talent. And he did have stops at Florida State. And I'm forgetting the school before that as an offensive coordinator. But he was with the Willie Taggart Florida State team. Uh, They had DeAndre Francois, and he put up some numbers, but they did not find a whole lot of success. Anyway, he goes to UMass, 2-23. Indiana brought him in as their offensive coordinator, and maybe he can do more with elevated talent. But UMass was one of the worst offenses in college football the last two years. I think it was like they finished 125th and 126th overall out of roughly 130 teams. So you're bringing a guy in to help your team that scored 10 points per game in Big Ten play. 10 points per game in Big Ten play. You're bringing this guy in to help. And the last three seasons would really kind of not give you the best warm and fuzzy feeling if I were an Indiana fan. But again, you don't know what he's going to do with different talent. But, you know, taking a step back, they brought in those new coordinators. They're getting some guys back from injury, especially in the secondary. But I think it's going to be another rough season for Indiana, despite the fact that I like Tom Allen and I thought he had them in the heading in the right direction like you did in 2019 and 2020.
0: Yeah, for sure. You know, it does seem like Indiana is almost entirely starting from scratch, pretty much across the board, which, you know, based on how last season went, maybe isn't the worst thing in the world. But, yeah, you talk about bringing in Walt Bell, kind of a a puzzling move there with his his shortcomings at UMass. But he has been, you know, previously lauded as an offensive guy at at his previous stops. Obviously, it didn't work well in in the Northeast, but maybe he's able to turn things around in Indiana. Um, Looking at their offensive players, you know, as a whole this season – you know, we, we uh, always we always expected Michael Panics to sort of take that next step, and he never really got to quite live up to the hype because of his injuries. He has since transferred to Washington this past offseason. season. Um, they do, however, bring in uh, Missouri quarterback transfer Connor Bazelak, who has spent the last two seasons as the Tigers' starting quarterback. And he's put up pretty decent numbers in the SEC. He's got 5,000 career passing yards, 66.3% completion percentage, 23 touchdowns to 17 interceptions, which, you know, in the SEC on a team like Missouri isn't certainly the worst thing in the world, um, you know, especially from the kind of quarterback play Indiana's gotten as of late. I think he'll do, you know, pretty decent over there. Um, yeah, their backup might, might be a guy that Ohio State saw briefly last year Donovan McCulley um, but he seems kind of destined to move to the wide receiver room he doesn't really seem like a, a true quarterback um, you know moving on from from the quarterback room Indiana returns none of its running backs but they haven't had a running game for for years now so maybe that's not a bad thing either. Um, they brought in two, two transfers in the room Sean Shivers from Auburn and Josh Henderson from UNC um, Shivers ran for over 1,000 yards in his first two season, in his first years at Auburn, but um, only 87 yards on 14 carries last season, and then Henderson has 200 career rushing yards, only 21 yards on five carries last season. So not exactly guys that, that did a lot at their previous stops, but maybe they're able to turn around with increased playing time at Indiana. They're also largely building from scratch at wide receiver. Um, DJ Matthews started four games last year but suffered a season-ending knee injury. Um, he's coming back, but outside of him, the room is basically just full of, of transfers and, and guys with not a lot of experience. Um, they bring over Every Simmons, Emery Simmons from UNC, who has 30 career receptions. Um, they bring in Cam Camper from Trinity Valley Junior College, who they've they've liked in spring, but obviously hasn't played up to you know the, the quite the level of talent in the Big Ten. Um, and then Jack Quez Smith on their on their roster is a former four star and was the second highest player in their 2021 recruiting class so that's probably a guy that's gonna have to step up this year and perform maybe earlier than he probably expected um at tight end they have A.J. Barner who's gonna be intriguing receiving option he's six foot six um I wouldn't be surprised if he winds up leading the room and receiving when all is said and done based on everything else around him um and then the offensive line outlook it isn't all too much better they return three starters from last year, but that unit allowed 29 sacks and ran for only 3.2 yards per carry. So, you know, not not exactly inspiring a ton of confidence there. All, and also, all three of the guys that are returning are switching positions. So, pretty much across the board here, Indiana's doing a lot of stuff. I don't know if it's going to work out or not, but it's it's all going to be very new, and it's all there's not a ton of previous either experience or success pretty much at any position across the board, except for quarterback, which I guess if you're going to have one position above the rest that you want to be good, it's quarterback, so... I think Basilac is a solid option for them, but I don't know how much help he's going to have around him.
1: You painted such a dark picture. Like I have most of the same notes, but hearing you say it, it sounds worse than I even like kind of took notes on. But look, Gene, you got to try something, right? You know, they've lost a lot of talent. They clearly have not been recruiting at the highest level. And I'll say this. They did go out and get a number of transfers from big schools, Bazelak from Missouri. You mentioned the running backs from uh, Auburn and North Carolina, some of the wide receivers. So uh, they're going after guys who, you know, probably were three and four star recruits, maybe um, at their prior stops. And so maybe they can piece it together. I like Bazelak. Um He was the number 13 pro style quarterback in the 2019 class. Before he went to Missouri, he was a Dayton guy, actually, here in Ohio. And I, if I'm not mistaken, I think he played in uh, like a state championship game. I remember hearing about him, is the point. And you're right. He was passable, no pun intended, at Missouri. Um, good completion percentage, 23 touchdowns to 17 interceptions. That Missouri team was not great. So, you know, arguably uh, an upgrade over Michael Penix, especially based on what we saw the past you know kind of year and a half and he was banged up to be fair to him but I think Bazelak has some talent I just don't know I'm with you I don't know what he has around him you mentioned Shivers Uh, he's like 5'7 180 so maybe more of a scat back I didn't watch a lot of him at Auburn obviously Henderson was a backup at North Carolina I think he has a couple hundred career rushing yards and the receivers there's just not a lot of proven commodities in that room so I think it's going to be a struggle, but I I don't know that they can do worse than 10 points per game in conference play. I think Bazelak's going to give them a dynamic. They even, I think they ran like a wishbone when he was in high school. So I didn't, again, I didn't see everything that he did at Missouri. He might be a runner, but I don't want to put that out there. I don't have any guarantees on that. I just remember he played in a sort of a unique offense in high school. So maybe he has that ability or that skill set. But they have to be able to protect him. You mentioned they gave up 29 sacks last year. so And guys moving positions, too. It's funny to have three guys coming back, but they're not at the positions they started at last year. So a ton of moving parts. But if you want to take the glass half full approach or view of things... We saw this work with Michigan State, right? Michigan State was pretty dreadful a couple of years ago. Mel Tucker brought in a ton of transfers. Some of those guys hit. Granted, they had a good defense, and they built something, and they're continuing to build something in East Lansing. So maybe Indiana is able to do something similar, but I want to get to the defensive side of the ball because that's where they were pretty good the last couple of years Sure, they couldn't score, but they couldn't stop anybody last year either. They give up 33.2 points per game, and that was with Micah McFadden. Unfortunately, he had really nothing around him. Taiwan Mullen was a guy who was great two and three years ago, but he was hurt, missed most of the season. I think he played in five games, <clears throat> and I don't know if he was healthy in all five of those games. They get him back. They get, um, gosh, the, Devin Matthews, who's a safety They both come back, um, miss a bunch of time last year. So in the back end, maybe they can cause some turnovers, make some plays. But they lost McFadden. And then you talk about that front six, that front seven. Not a lot of guys coming back. It's funny. The one guy who I had an eye on, Cam Jones, plays sort of like a, a rover linebacker position for them. He is their leading returning sack guy as a linebacker. And he had one Last year, one sack. That is the leading returning sack guy, as I call them. So, I don't have high hopes for their pass rush, but maybe they can do some things in the back end and cause some noise like they did in nineteen and twenty.
0: Yeah, I mean, you kind of you hit the nail on the head here. McFadden led the team last year in tackles, tackles for loss, and sacks. Um, he's now gone. You know, you brought up the points per game they allowed this year. They were ranked dead last in the Big Ten in that category. Um, they, they brought in, uh, a, a new guy, Chad Wilt to run the defense, but it also sounds like Tom Allen is going to be more involved in the defensive coaching and that's sort of his bread and butter. So maybe that'll help improve as well. But, you know, like you talked about, they, they're getting some guys back from injury. They hit the transfer portal here as well. Um, they added some guys along the defensive line, uh, defensive tackle, J.H. D- uh, Tavis started all 12 games last year for Cal. Um, edge rusher, Miles Jackson spent the last two seasons at UCLA. Um, but almost all of their top pass rushing talent from last season is gone Um, you know, they're, they're missing their true leader in the middle of that defense with McFadden gone. There's going to be some huge shoes to fill there. You'd imagine it'll be Cam Jones. Like you've mentioned, he's a, you know, a speedy linebacker who finished third on the team in tackles last year. Um, but, but not a ton else in that room. Um, they bring in Brady, Bradley Jennings, Jr., a former starter at Miami. I also wouldn't be surprised if we see former Ohio state commit Desan McCullough play a large role in year one. Um, he was, he was the highest rated player in Indiana's most recent recruiting class. And, you know, if you have a a highly regarded freshman like that, a guy who could have played at Ohio State, I certainly wouldn't be surprised to see him get very significant minutes for Indiana. But then also like Northwestern, the secondary should be the strength of this defense. You brought up Taiwan Mullen. He's probably their their best returning defensive player, as well as Jalen Williams. Um, Williams led the team last year in pass breakups with 11 and is the active Indiana interception leader with six. Um, Mullen missed most of last season with an injury, but he's now back. Two very good players in that secondary. Um, you brought up Devon Matthews, also Bryant Fitzgerald back, so they have both their starting safeties back as well. Um, so you know a, a lot, some some returning more returning, I would say, experience here than Northwestern. But um, I, I think the loss of McFadden is going to be felt tremendously. You know, I, you, that was the type of guy that when you played, even when a team like Ohio State played against him, you could feel the presence of Micah McFadden on the field at all times and just the real leader of that group. And without him, I don't know how much this team will struggle, but. You know, having a good secondary is certainly important. If they can maybe bring some things together on that defensive line, they could be a little bit better with some of the new faces out there. Um, Same if their linebacker group could step up a bit. So maybe not the worst defense in the world. I, you know, I'm higher on this defense than maybe Northwesterns. I think Northwestern probably has the better secondary, but I think overall this Indiana defense will be a little bit better. Um, But I don't know. I'm not not super convinced. A lot like you know the offense, they're just it's like a completely rebuilding team. It's like there's a bunch of new faces, like you said, there's a bunch of moving parts, and it's just. There's so many question marks here.
1: I almost feel bad for these two teams that we've talked about because they've had to rely so heavily upon the transfer portal just to get guys in with experience. And I know that that's the sort of new world of college football that we seem to be living in, but it's it's difficult to develop any sort of continuity or cohesion. And that's that's how Northwestern and Indiana and teams like that, that's how they eventually find success is they get some guys in and they get to develop them over a number of years and they're able to keep them in the program, right? And I remember a couple of years ago when McFadden and Mullen were both healthy and both on the field, they were a fun defense to watch. You know, Mullen especially, I don't have his stats in front of me, but He was a turnover machine. He could blitz. I mean, he could really do a little bit of everything. He got a ton of All-American votes by different outlets. So a great player. And Micah McFadden was one of my favorite defensive players to watch in the entire Big Ten. Uh, The last couple of seasons, he was all over the place. He was really... At times, the last man standing, the only man standing out there on that defense is trying to contain the opposing offense. A hell of a player. Uh, I wish they could bring him back. You know, just, hey, McFadden and Mullen, let them play together one more time, right? But again, a ton of moving pieces. It's going to be difficult to kind of get them all on the same page, but they've got a number of months to do that. I think that their early schedule which we can get into records and predictions and everything, but just a, a peek behind the curtain. Their early schedule, I think, is somewhat conducive to kind of development and getting guys some reps. They Their first three games are at home, so maybe that helps them out. And you mentioned Dasan McCullough, Uber recruit. Ohio State was all over this kid. He changed his mind or he changed his commitment, went to Indiana to presumably... Play for his dad, who has since left Indiana for Notre Dame. I think that's that's kind of funny. They've they've got two McCullough brothers on the roster, and the younger McCullough brother in the 2023 class was like an early verbal to the school. I, I wouldn't be surprised if the entire family is in South Bend next year. But for this year and this year alone, I think that Desan McCullough. Could be one of, if not their best and most dangerous defenders on that side of the ball. Um, kind of a edge, outside linebacker, sort of hybrid, great athlete. Can do a lot of different things out there. So if he can sort of get up to speed and that secondary can make some plays, then maybe they can, I don't know, become like a Iowa light on defense, right? Iowa does, does not typically build their defense with a bunch of five star recruits, but they've been turnover machines and then they've been able to hit on a pass rusher or two and great linebackers. Indiana doesn't have that, but they've got some similar pieces and some similar position groups, maybe to a school like Iowa. And I'm going like super high end ceiling if they were to be able to do that. But I do think they'll improve. I just again, I go back to what I said earlier. I, I don't think this is an, is an eight or nine win team. I just don't know that Indiana is a program that is built for sustain, sustained success. And thus, they're able to recruit at a much higher level or get a ton of money thrown you know, behind the program. But they're a basketball school. You and I both know that football takes a back seat, So I, I don't know how feasible or realistic that would be either.
0: Yeah, I, I can't help but agree there on on the basketball point, but you know, I I, I agree with you this isn't I don't think this is the the nine Indiana of, of years past, you know, it's it's tough to come into a season where you're replacing both coordinators, your quarterback, all of your running backs, almost all of your wide receivers and your best defensive player and have a successful season. I mean, maybe they'll be better than last year, it's hard to be worse as we've said a few times, but You know, there's a ton of fresh faces and and very similarly to Northwestern. There's just too many question marks here to really feel confident in in any sort of quick turnaround or, you know, sustained build towards something. Um, You talked a little bit about their non-con schedule. They do end that non-con schedule at Cincinnati, which is a, you know. As far as things go, that's a pretty brutal non conference schedule when you have a team like this that's trying to maybe find their way around. A year or two ago,
1: that was a hell of a game, though.
0: Yeah, for sure. And, you know, maybe it will be interesting again. You know, Cincinnati also lost a ton of pieces, so who knows how good they will be this year, but I still think that Luke Fickle is going to have his boys rolling pretty early there. Um, They do have to go, Indiana, I'm talking about. Indiana has to go to Ohio State and Michigan State, which is not. Two fun road games there. They get to host Michigan and Penn State, but I don't know how much their home field will matter. Having attended an Indiana home game when Ohio State was there, I don't think the home crowd plays all that much of a role there. Um, sorry, to Indiana fans. It's just, you know, like we said, they're a basketball school. And they're, they're good at that. They get up for the basketball team. I don't know if they get up as much for the football team, especially, you know, with the, the play as of late. But... Nonetheless, I'm not not super high in Indiana, not super high in either of these teams. I promise that all of our Big Ten, you know, previews won't be as grim as these two. It's just kind of, you know, these two schools are kind of floundering a bit right now in the Big Ten, and we are starting from the bottom and working our way up. So it just seems like we're being pretty tough on these two schools. And you know, maybe we're maybe we're entirely wrong. I can't wait till we see next year's Indiana versus Northwestern Big Ten championship. And we were just completely wrong about everything. And both of these schools have somehow mastered the the Michigan State art of, of building an entire team of transfers and inexperience, but nonetheless. Nonetheless, I just, you know, I'm not super hopeful on, on either of these teams to really compete for anything meaningful in the Big Ten. Maybe they'll win a few games. Maybe they'll be better than last year. But I don't think that, you know, that maybe they'll win a, a big game. Maybe they'll shock the world in, in one of these big games I have against the bigger teams. But I'm not, you know, super confident either of these teams having any sort of sustained success in 2022.
1: Gene and I are trying, folks. Like, I feel like half the pod or most of the pod has been, uh, you know, they've, they've got some some scholarship football players and some some guys who played at other schools. I mean, that's just where Northwestern and Indiana are at right now. They we've seen Northwestern turn it around quickly before. We've seen Indiana have recent success, but it's 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 hard. It is very difficult to sustain success outside of what, you know, 20, 25 teams. And these teams, are, they're just not up there and they rarely are. But I am a little bit higher on Indiana. I, I'm not real sure why. I think maybe the Bay's lack factor is sort of influencing my decision. Yeah, I, I think but... quarterback
0: play is certainly important here. I think that you know Basilak certainly raises the floor of what this team could be, mm-hmm. and maybe that that alone will be why they'll be better than last year. Because I do think that you know Baszak is a very solid quarterback, certainly better than they've had at least when you know Penix is injured and not up to his full repertoire. So I do think that Basilak for sure raises their floor.
1: Yeah, and like say you go back two years, uh, for example, you know, and like going into a 2020 season, had Baszak already been at Indiana then you'd probably put him in the top half of quarterbacks in the Big Ten because you'd look back at his kind of recruiting profile and he would have had the one season at Missouri and you'd be like, all right, this guy can do some things. So maybe he can recapture the best of his sort of ability um, that he has shown in high school and and early on at Missouri. I do think he's going to be passable again, no pun intended. I think that If I had to throw a number out there, honestly, I could see Indiana anywhere between three and six wins. And I hate to not really choose a number, but we talked about it first three games at home. I wouldn't be shocked if they started out three and oh, spoiler alert for future pods. I don't think Illinois is a good football team. Then they've got Idaho and Western Kentucky. Those are winnable games. So potentially starting out three and oh. Who knows about Cincinnati, but I'm with you. I think that Luke Fickle has gotten that Cincinnati program to a certain level to where maybe even a tough season is eight and four for them or something like that. I think that if Bazelak plays well, I think Maryland at home is winnable. I think Rutgers on the road is winnable and... You know, who knows about Purdue? I think Purdue has a really good offense, actually, but they get their last game of the season at home as well. So I would put them anywhere between three and six wins. But I think when you look at the totality of it all between these two teams, I, I think the numbers like 10 max. And that's probably because I'm so much lower on Northwestern. At the end of the day, I could see either or both of these teams finishing last in their division with maybe a higher ceiling on Indiana.
0: Yeah. I mean, no, no, no rebuttal ball for me here. I, I kind of agree. You know, these, I don't, you know, it, it's tough. The bottom of the big 10 is, is pretty gross. I think we're going to have a lot of, of co- conversations about quarterback play in the big 10. here. It's
1: probably the best word. To yeah. Put. As, as we move on here,
0: I think there's going to be a trend of, of, quarterback play, not being quite up to snuff as we work through the rest of this conference. But I am excited to move past the Northwesterns and Indianas of the world. Um, Next week's pod should be a little bit interesting with with Rutgers and Nebraska on the docket. I think there's some very interesting storylines with both of those teams to go along there even though they might not be some of the best in the conference. It's a you know big season coming up for Nebraska and obviously Rutgers under Greg Schiano is you know sort of on the come up I guess a little bit, but I am excited for that. Um, but I, I think we're good here on Indiana and Rutgers. I don't want to, you know, bury them too hard. Uh, but, you know, it's just we're kind of, you know, we're just calling it as we see it. They both have. You're so defeated. Gene's I, like, I, really I think am. we're done here. I think we're done. I here. think we're done. It's just, you know, I, I want these to, you know, I like, like we said, we like Tom Allen. We like Pat Fitzgerald. I want the, you know, it'd be good for the conference if the entire conference was good. But that's just not the reality of things. And I think that. You know, both of these teams have a chance to put everything together. Um, like we said, there's a bunch of, you know, new pieces and moving parts in all these schools. And if it all does come together, then maybe they do put together some pretty decent seasons. But it's just it's hard to look at what we have on paper here and not having not seen a single snap of football yet. You know, come back to us middle of the year. and Maybe these teams are playing well and things are clicking. But just with what's on paper here in front of us, it's hard to really be super positive about either of these schools. And, I'm, you know, I'm hoping that that'll change as we go more deeper and, and higher up the standings from last year.
1: The way that I look at the Big Ten, and um, I'll let you close it up after this, but the way that I look at the Big Ten is you've got a top, a middle, and a bottom, and they're all pretty defined. I think that you've got Ohio State and Michigan at the top. You can make an argument for a Penn State or a Wisconsin or a Michigan State on any given year. I think you've got a ton of teams in the middle, and you've got a few at the bottom, and the way that we're doing the sort of previews, we're starting with the bottom and, you know, they can't all be in the middle. I think that based on what we saw last year and what they have coming back and all of these other things, the outlook is not great for Northwestern Indiana, but I do think there will be a lot more conversation and I I don't want to say contention, but I think there'll be like different things to speak to moving forward because I do think that the middle of the big ten is much larger and I think that there are, you know, four, five, six, seven teams that could all have similar records. So like you, I am looking forward to some of those future episodes.
0: Yeah, and you know, you guys know that we're you know we're we're Ohio State riders. We follow Ohio State. We're not in on the you know the ins and outs of what's going on in Indiana Northwestern or any of these other Big Ten schools, really outside of the, the bigger ones on, in the conference. So you know if you're if you're looking for more in depth stuff on, on any of these teams, be sure to check out their you know their respective SB Nation pages. I know that all of the Big Ten each team has its own page. Um, Northwesterns, as I believe, inside NU, and then Indiana is the Qu- Crimson Quarry, who we've done some stuff with. They're all pretty good people over there. So if you're looking for more on each of these teams, be sure to check out their pages as well as always for more on ohio state stuff which you know we'll get to eventually when we get to ohio state but it's it's big 10 preview season um but for more of our stuff on ohio state more ohio state centric stuff be sure to check out all of our written content over at landgrantholand.com um, be sure to like rate review subscribe and all that stuff that all the podcasts ask you to do and uh yeah i think that's it for us so for josh dooley i am gene ross and as always go bucks